Welcome to the revolution. Hello and welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams and thank you very much for listening today. This is episode number 46 of the Red Pill Revolution podcast and we are going to have a very intriguing conversation. This one we're going to be touching on. It was something we've kind of touched on before, but we didn't dive into this specific topic this deep. So what we're going to be discussing is the CIA documents surrounding the gateway process. Okay, so we'll touch on that. We'll talk a little bit about some of my experiences with meditation, things like kundalini yoga, some of the interesting stories that I have surrounding that. Then we'll dive a little bit further into some of those other types of meditation, which I find to be really interesting um, from that kind of uh, Western or uh, I'm sorry, Eastern philosophy and, and those types of things. So the gate, it all starts with the gateway process though. <laughs> if you've never heard of the gateway process, it's a unbelievable, it, unbelievably interesting document that came from the CIA that was released in 2003 surrounding some of the most interesting topics that you've ever heard of in your life. Everything from spirit channeling divination to extrasensory perception to uh, astral projection to, uh, you know, um, it, it basically all of these, you know, out-of-body experiences, states of altered consciousness. And this was all done under the U.S. Army and the CIA, okay? Um, the U.S. Army is actually the one that released the document. So um, we will go ahead and jump into it. But before that, uh, before that, I need you to do one thing for me, and that is just go ahead and hit that little button on your phone. It takes two seconds on your part. It means the world to me, and you already know which button I'm talking about. It starts with a sub and ends with a scribe. All right, that's what I got for you. If you are on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go ahead and hit that five star review button. If you do not already follow me on all of these social media channels at Red Pill Revolt, go find me, follow me. You know the deal. All right. And if you haven't hit the subscribe button, just do it. You'll feel better about it this whole time. All right. Gives you a little bit of good karma. All right. Speaking of karma, <laughs> we have some very interesting conversations today. Um, so we will go ahead and jump into it right now. Welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Red Pill Revolution started out with me realizing everything that I knew, everything that I believed, everything I interpret about my life is through the lens of the information I was spoon-fed as a child. Religion, politics, history, conspiracies, Hollywood, medicine, money, food, all of it. Everything we know was tactfully written to influence your decisions and your view on reality by those in power. Now, I'm on a mission. A mission to retrain and re-educate myself to find the true reality of what is behind that curtain. And I'm taking your ass with me. Welcome to the revolution. All right. I don't know about you, but that introduction just gets me hype for some reason. <laughs> if you can't see it, um, even if you're watching this on YouTube, but I'm in the background mouthing it, getting excited over here. Um, but let's dive into it. The CIA documents about the gateway process. 
All right, now this gets so deep. It might be hard to follow, but I found some really good engaging articles that take uh, this wealth of information. It's a 26 page document and 26 pages doesn't seem that deep. But even in each individual, there's like two to three paragraphs on each of the individual things that they're discussing here. Um, but I found a really good way to break it down for you guys. And here it is. <clears throat> In 1945, the United States launched a scientific intelligence initiative titled Operation Stargate. The objective was to recover intelligence on scientific and military uh, projects conducted under the Third Reich. What they found was something much stranger, a cache of documents related to um, which was a scientific academy in and think tank indicated a division that was so basically it was like the Nazi regime had this scientific think tank that was dedicated to the study of cult sciences. The extensive research was being conducted on sensory perception, spirit channeling divination and other forms of anomalous phenomena. The paranormal was being scientifically explored, but from what purpose is unclear. After uncovering these documents, they began to investigate uh, into altered consciousness and the supernatural, and they continued these investigations for decades. Some of these projects, like MKUltra, have been widely reported on. Others, not so much. Some have re received little to no exposure since declassification. That one report titled The Analysis and Assessment of the Gateway Process went largely unexamined until recently it was declassified in 2003 by the U.S. Army. And it detailed a scientific technique developed by the Monroe Institute to facilitate astral projection in out-of-body experiences and states of altered consciousness. Now, if you don't know, we touched on this topic um, when we talked about the Project Stargate. So there's a whole episode that we did on Project Stargate. And Project Stargate was the uh, CIA's initiative to basically combat and re-look uh, into what the Nazi regime did by looking into the astral projections. And so the idea was that they would take people with high levels of psychic energy, right? Or self-proclaimed high levels of psychic energy. And if you haven't watched that episode, it's wild, right? We watch videos of them literally putting ping pong balls on people's faces so that they have this like sensory deprivation in order to do these things. And there's a movie that's loosely based off of this, which is called The Men Who Stare at Goats. Um, I guess it's a horrid movie, so really no reason to watch it. <laughs> but, but it's interesting that there's a movie nonetheless. So what, what that uh, Project Stargate was, the whole idea behind that was that they were coming out with a project to basically learn how to spy on other military operations without ever having to leave a single room or do any reconnaissance at all. All of this was going to be done through some type of psychic action. And in this case, it was called astral projection. And if you don't know what astral projection is, astral projection is the idea, it's, it's a form of transcendental meditation, which transcendental meditation is something that we'll dive into in a little bit, but it's basically you know, getting into a deeply meditative state expanding and, and, and taking your consciousness and looking to expand it from outside of your body. And within that, you can start to project that to different areas of, of earth and space and time uh, and timelines, right? It, it's, it's really wild, the things that they did within Project Stargate. There was even one instance during Project Stargate where they had an individual who was projecting their consciousness into a pyramid on 
I believe it was like a pyramid on Mars where they spoke to extraterrestrial entities who were trapped there and in trying to ask them for help on a different like in a different time than today, like far, far in the past. It's so crazy. And you can find all these documents, go to cia.gov um, or go to Google and type in CIA reading room. And there's all of these documents and just look up Project Stargate. And there's so much shit that you can dive into. Project Stargate is so crazy. And this is the document that we're going to discuss today is a single document of that project. Okay. Now, one way that they went about that project was something that was called Hemisync. And Hemisync was an initiative that they were trying to basically figure out how to best prime the body to do this astral projection. And in the, the, the project Stargate or I'm sorry, the breakdown of the gateway process was an, an, an attempt to explain exactly what was happening, how it was happening, what was happening in the brain, how this was even possible from a, uh, like a worldly perspective, you know, what was going on to make this possible. Okay. Um, so pretty wild stuff. And with that, let's dive a little bit further into it. It says that some of the projects like MKUltra have been widely reported on. However, some have received little to no exposure since declassification, right? We talked about that with the U.S. Army coming out with this document in 2003, um, and it detailed a scientific technique developed by the Monroe Institute to facilitate astral projection out-of-body experiences in states of altered consciousness. The purpose was to create individuals who could transcend space and time so that they could achieve this through the use of the gateway tapes. Now, the gateway tapes are literally available on Amazon right now. It's $190 for the gateway tapes. So if you're that interested in this, there's two copies left. <laughs> I hope after this show, there's a couple less. If that looks at zero by the time that this gets released and you guys listen to it, that's pretty awesome. Um, but anyways, you can also find it on YouTube. So don't maybe don't spend your money. <laughs> um, the gateway tapes, I'm pretty sure beginning to end are all on YouTube. And so the Robert Monroe was the one who spearheaded this operation and, and tried to break down what was actually happening during this astral projection and how to actually accomplish this. All right. So Robin Monroe was a radio broadcasting executive in the early 1950s. He formed Ram Enterprises, which was a corporation that produced network radio programs. However, Monroe was interested in exploring how sound frequencies can impact the human mind. He was obsessed with discovering methods of how to, it's called like hype, um, hypnodemia. And it's basically learning how to learn from audio tapes while you're sleeping. Okay. Think of like listening to, you know, uh, Pimsler Spanish tapes. On, and then eventually after so many weeks of listening to this in your sleep, you wake up and all of a sudden you're fluent in Spanish. That, that was kind of his idea. <laughs> it says that Monroe experimented with frequencies to enhance memory and learning for years. However, in the 1950s, he got more than he bargained for during one of his experiences in experiments, he experienced paralysis, bodily vibrations, and bright lights until he seemingly exited his body floating somewhere near the ceiling. This experience was later publicized in articles and books, and it helped popularize, popularize the term out-of-body experience, or OBE. He was frightened but also intrigued, and he began to pursue this experience, describing it as proof of the spiritual world. As Ram Enterprises grew beyond radio production, they rebranded as Monroe Industry, and they developed a research division named the Monroe Institute. There, they studied the impact of sound frequencies and patterns on human consciousness. 
Monroe discovered that the human brain was subject to a frequency-following response, which means brainwaves would naturally adapt to mimic the audio frequencies played to it. However, many known brainwave patterns like beta, theta, and delta occur at frequencies that are inaudible to the human ear. To circumvent this limitation, Monroe would play different frequencies to the left and the right ears, which would create a beat frequency. A beat frequency is simply the difference between the two played frequencies. For example, if 210 frequencies hertz or hertz frequency was played in one ear and 220 in the other, it would generate a beat frequency of 10 hertz, invoking psychological and mental states that are related to those brainwave frequencies. This process would synchronize the amplitude and frequency of brainwaves between both hemispheres. This synchronization is also called hemi, and it rarely occurs in natural circumstances. Monroe claimed that the gateway process could lead to prolonged states of hemisync, and he could stimulate states of consciousness by forcing the brain to emulate these frequencies. So, summarization, he would put headphones on and he would play these certain frequencies. If you've ever done like transcendental meditations or guided meditations, sometimes in or like Kundalini, there's, there's sometimes in the background, you'll hear this like, you know, it's like this weird kind of underlying sound. And, and, and you can even look up certain, uh, uh, transcendental meditations or guided meditations that have certain frequencies, um, which the CIA has outlined as allowing you to do these out-of-body experiences, right? So, so what he did is he started the experiments that kind of brought to light and scientifically explained what's happening in these instances. And it goes on to say that by evoking delta brainwaves in one to four hertz range, he could elicit states of meditation or relaxation. Early research at the Monroe Institute suggested that the gateway process had many practical applications, including stress relief, pain, anesthetic, accelerated learning, and more. However, it would only later be applied in an attempt to create psychic soldiers under the guidance of the U.S. military. Military. In 1983, Lieutenant Colonel Wayne and McDonald submitted a classified report titled An Analysis and Assessment of the Gateway Process. He was tasked with exploring astral projection and out-of-body experiences and how the gateway process might be used to train soldiers for intelligence-gathering purposes. The subject matter can be difficult to understand, but the following is a synopsis of McDonald's report. Aware that his investigation was skirting the supernatural, McDonald sought to ground his analysis in scientific study. He connected his reports to the following branches of study, including biomedicine, to to determine the physical processes and effects that occurred during the gateway processes, including quantum mechanics in an attempt to explain the interplay between consciousness and the physical world. Theoretical physics to understand the physical world that would be transcended and Newton's laws of physics to ground his findings and dispel any paranormal connotations. The gateway process was described as a training system designed to bring enhanced strength and focus into uh, to the amplitude and frequency of brainwaves output between the left and the right hemisphere so as to alter consciousness, moving it outside of the physical sphere so as to ultimately escape even the restrictions of time and space. And that draws back to how this was actually applied in Project Stargate, which is wild, which is what we talked about a little bit earlier. And all of this sounds so crazy, but the fact that the CIA dumped millions of dollars in manpower into this and and actually had many, many successful missions, including finding a specific warship in the ocean as a result of one person's, uh, you know, astral projections. 
Now, it goes on to say that, and through these interactions, all energy fields became imprinted and encoded with information. Um, it says, to understand how human consciousness could escape the physical body, McDonald asserted that the world is a hologram, a theory which is shared by even current-day physicists. All matter consists of atoms, small nucleic centers surrounded by large electron energy fields. The energy fields between all matter coexist and interact. And through these interactions, all energy fields become imprinted and encoded with information. Furthermore, complex principles in holographic theory suggest that this imprinting can occur between, and not only is there an interconnectedness between everything we know, but perhaps there is information in our world about dimensions that we have yet to even discover. The holographic theory is further complicated by interaction with human consciousness. We do not passively perceive the world, but through perception, we change it through free will. We can selectively perceive and influence the holographic universe similar to popular new age ideas like the secret and the law of attraction. Now, if you don't know what the secret or the law of attraction are, I'm happy to explain. I was given a book by my father, um, great man, and uh, it was called The Laws of Success. And I was given this book, it was written by Napoleon Hill. And Napoleon Hill is kind of the grandfather of all, uh, you know, motivational speaking today, all, all of the books that you see on, you know, how to uh, self-improvement basically is a sub chapter of information or stems from a, you know, a certain paragraph, even from this book called the laws of success and the laws of success was later to condense because I have it right here, actually. Napoleon Hill's Law of Success. All right, here's the book. It is um, revised and updated by Napoleon Hill, the 21st century edition, and it is approximately 890 pages. 890 pages. And in this book, he describes several, several things, including a lot of what this even talks about prior to this actually happening, right? Um, so, um, what I see to be interesting about this is, is it talks about the secret. It talks about the law of attraction. It talks about, you know, what, what turned into many of the modern day new age ideas. And if you don't know what the secret is about or what the law of attraction is, it's basically, uh, interplaying the idea and it gets pretty deep. If you, if you know how the, the, where our science is going today, which makes it even more interesting, but the principle of the law of attraction is basically that through sheer thought, you can manifest the world, the life, the outcomes that you want in life. Now, I think there's two specific interesting ways to talk about that. The first one being that even if it doesn't have to do with the frequencies of the world, which is you know what uh, is asserted by Napoleon Hill in this book, and even asserted through this CIA document, um, but even if it's not that, right? I guess let's let's talk on that first. The idea is that the, the, the world is vibrations, right? And if you understand how science works, and I don't claim to be a scientist, so take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. But from my understanding, the idea is that everything is movement. Every molecule, every molecule is shaking, right? There's movement happening all around us at all times. The words that you're hearing from me right now are simply vibrations, right? And those vibrations stem from the vibrations that are happening within my own brain, which is causing, you know, this activity that's coming up with thoughts, which is then coming out verbally, which you're hearing through the vibrational frequencies, right? And that includes the light that's, you know, reflecting off of the walls, that's giving color. Everything in this universe stems from some type of, uh, you know, movement or frequency as a result. 
So the idea is that there's, you know, if, if the way that I look at it now, knowing what we know about, you know, the, where science is going with the idea of multiverses, is that if you align with a certain frequency, right, even when you're not speaking, even just your thoughts are emitting frequencies into the world, and the world picks up on those, whether it's, you know, what you whether you want to call it God, whether you want to call it the universe, whatever you want to call it, there is something greater than us that is taking in those vibrational frequencies. And if you put things out enough, the world will start to align with your thoughts, right? And this comes from, you know, whether or not it's it's this new wave idea of science or whether it's even to me, even if it's not that, it may even just have to be the trickling down of the conscious into the subconscious, right? If I wake up and tell myself every day that I'm going to be a millionaire, right? The most common one that you'll probably see when people do the secret, right? I'm going to have all the money in the world, Right? If you just wake up every day and you recite that and you recite that and you recite that and you recite that, right? I'm going to have a million dollars by this day. I'm going to have a million dollars by this day. Just specifically by doing that, you are pulling your, you are, you are positioning your subconscious in a way that that is what's at the forefront of your mind, even if you're not thinking about it. Right. So you start to pick up on cues around you that may get you closer to that goal, right? Because if your brain, if every day that you woke up, you said, I'm hungry, I need to find food. I'm hungry, I need to find food right? Your brain's going to go, oh, he's hungry. He needs to find food. And so your reticular activating system is going to start to pick up on subtle cues around you, right? That could potentially mean I'm going to eat, right? So whether it's has to do with, you know, aligning with the proper multiverse, right? Or, or universe. Um, and that's an even deeper conversation, but, you know, through the manifestation of your own thoughts or whether it just specifically has to do with you saying something enough to where it trickles into your subconscious, I wholeheartedly believe that there is one shape or another, in one shape or another, you can frame the universe around you specifically through thought. Thoughts, you know, it's a, a, a really incredible quote is, you know, if you knew the power of your thoughts, you would never have another negative thought in your life, right? If you knew the how powerful each individual thought that went through your brain was, you would never think anything that would position you in a way to receive back any negativity, Right. And we're getting a little in the woods with this, but I think it's important to understand this manifestation idea because it comes up later in these documents where it talks about those frequencies, the frequencies that you you start to align with, the, the, the vibrational waves that you're putting out into the universe is what's going to come back to you in one way, shape or another. So let's go ahead and continue this document. Human beings can manifest certain realities through imagination and willpower. Lastly, McDonald speculates that human consciousness may be able to temporarily escape time and space, utilizing the gateway tapes to accelerate brainwave frequencies. These brainwaves may break a physical limitation known as the Planck distance. The Planck distance is the smallest measurable distance in the physical. The peaks of accelerated brainwaves and theoretically the accompanying human consciousness would temporarily enter a sub-Planky universe. This primordial dimension of space predates our known universe and it is not subject to the limitations of time and space. McDonald theorized that consciousness would blink into the sub-Planking space and return with knowledge that would otherwise be inaccessible. It becomes possible to see how human consciousness brought to a sufficiently altered state could obtain information concerning the past, present, and future. The practice of using the gateway tapes is referred to as the gateway process before beginning. Subjects are instructed to visualize a box and place any extraneous concerns inside of it. This is meant to help improve focus. Then they are instructed to meditate while humming a single tone. 
After sufficient preparation, the hemisync frequencies are introduced, which is the tapes that have these frequencies, those whom, you know, whatever that sounds like. It's only through exposure and diligent practice that subjects can reach the furthest possibilities of this practice. McDonald describes the following as possible outcomes of the gateway practice. Improved problem solving by calling on a higher self, which is the expanded consciousness of the subject. Um, patterning and projecting the will into the universal hologram in an attempt to manifest a new reality. Color breathing and energy bar tool techniques are meant to stimulate healing effects on the body through the use of visualization. Out-of-body experiences allow individuals to exit their bodies and explore the physical world and beyond. Okay, now let me talk about one of those specific things that I just talked about, which is the improved problem solving by calling on a higher self. Now, I had an experience. Now, I, I'm, I've meditated for a fairly decently long time in my life. I would say probably, I don't know, eight, eight to 10 years. I, I've, and even when I was younger, right, as like um, in middle school, you know, I was watching, uh, of, you know, if there was YouTube back then, whatever, wherever I, I watched it, <laughs> uh, videos about energy and, and, and kind of interested in Eastern philosophies. And um, so when, I, when I've meditated in the past, I've done several different things, right? When normally when you meditate, you go through a, a certain f steps, right? The normal meditation techniques is, is basically taking something that's considered, you know, to take the words of Tim Ferriss, which I found to be really powerful. And something that I talk about with my, my young daughter pretty consistently is the idea of a monkey mind, right? So there's the idea of the monkey mind and the monkey mind is the consistent flow of subconscious thoughts that are constantly buzzing through your brain at any given time of the day, right? It's reminding you of that shit that you forgot to do that you were supposed to do that somebody might ask you about in the future. It's reminding you that you said something stupid to that person that you liked last week. And now you can't feel anything but shame about that one thing and it can't escape your brain. It reminds you that, you know, so-and-so is out there doing this incredible thing and that you should possibly be capable of doing the same thing So, and, and you're not living up to your potential. It's reminding you that, you know, it's that the song that won't get out of your head, right? It's, it's the constant re repetitive music from Encanto because <laughs> your child watches that uh, if you haven't watched that movie. It's interesting, but it drives me nuts. Um, but anyways, back to Monkey Mind. The monkey mind is the part of your, your, your thought processes that are uncontrolled. It's the things that give you anxiety. It's the thoughts that make you depressed. It's the things that you feel are out of your control, right? That are driving you to be anxious or sad or mad, or it, it's basically the, the autopilot of your brain when you decide or when you don't decide to be in control of it. And so what the initial parts of meditation end up being is learning how to submit that monkey mind. And usually it starts with something like this. They'll tell you to sit down. They'll tell you to take a deep breath. They'll tell you to take another deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. And at a certain point, they'll tell you to count your breaths, right? I want you to count from zero to 10, each full breath being one, two, three. And you do that until you hit 10. And then you count from 10 down to zero doing the same thing. And so you continue that process, you know, let's say six to 10 times, right? One to two minutes of continuing that process of just thinking about your breath 
and counting your breath in a way that it completely takes over your consciousness and rids you of any of the poisonous thoughts that are happening because of your monkey mind. And then the next step is to sit still, do not count, and just breathe. But I want you to think of nothing. I want you to have a completely blank slate in your mind, and I want you to relax your body and mind and just think of absolute nothingness. And when people generally start this practice, what they'll find is that their monkey mind is so powerful and their true self, their true consciousness, which is the individual who controls what is behind that monkey mind, right? Who subdues that monkey mind and determines that they're going to stop smoking a cigarette, right? And, and determines that they're going to write that book and, and overcome the obstacles and, and the easy habitual ways of thought patterns and, and patterns of action that are in their way, right? And so by through this process of subduing your monkey mind for 10 minutes, and every time that you're, you know, because it will happen, every, you'll get frustrated the first time that you do it. You'll breathe in, you'll breathe out. And all of a sudden that stupid assignment that you were supposed to do for school will pop into your brain or that task that you were supposed to have done tomorrow for work that you forgot about when you're laying up at night at 9.30, knowing you're not gonna wake up and go do it. And then you breathe. And you remember that you're supposed to focus on your breath. You're not supposed to focus on all the stupid stuff that you forgot to do. <laughs> and by consistently subduing that monkey mind, you'll find that you get more space for the things that you wanna do in life. Right, you'll find that you you you're not picking up that cigarette as often or at all. You'll find that you are more in control of your thoughts. You will find that there's this you'll know you'll start to notice because it's not going to go away initially just by starting to do that. But what you'll find is that you'll start to notice your monkey mind more often, and you'll start to disassociate with the thoughts that are consistently going through your mind that you normally identify with, things that drive anxiety, things that drive depression. And after a certain amount of time of doing that, let's call it six months, your anxiety lessens, your depression shrinks away because you are starting to notice the patterns that are leading to that, the thought processes that have been carved into your brain since you were a child that your parents put there for you or by, that your coach told you that you, know, you were not good enough or whatever it is, you'll find that you can start to reparent yourself, to re-educate yourself, to retrain yourself, to live a life in a way that you want to because you're no longer being controlled by the whims of your subconscious thoughts that you have no control over, but you're subduing those thoughts and instead replacing them with intentional ideas of positivity, of gratitude, of you know things that are good for you, not things that are bad for you. And so through that initial phase of, of meditation, you start to expand your, your true self, your true consciousness. And so that if normally your brain's being taken over by your monkey mind for, I don't know, call it 85% of the day, that by learning how to submit, make that monkey mind tap out, through the intentional practice of meditation, that your true self, your true consciousness, who has your best interest in mind, that is not just specifically repeating the, the traumatic experiences that you had because they're comfortable and habitual, 
you'll find that your life becomes better. You'll find that you have more gratitude for things. You'll find less wanting and more gratefulness, right? Um, you know, I, I tell my daughter this, grateful, not wantful, right? Um, and, and so, you know, when my, my daughter is, is a lot of energy, right? A lot, like I was as a kid, a lot of energy. And, you know, she has constant, you know, bouncing up and down because she wants to be doing something. And she does gymnastics like, I don't know, like 16 hours a week. <laughs> and so she, she has the, all of this energy that she needs to get out. And what I've found is that it's that all that bouncing is going on in her head is going on in her brain. That monkey mind is taking over. And of course it is. She's six years old. Right. And so, but what I've taught her is that, you know, I've taught her the idea of the monkey mind and to disassociate herself from the negative subconscious thoughts that drive anxiety and drive those, those negative emotions and to realize that it's your monkey mind and that all you need to do to subdue that monkey mind through practice is by taking a deep breath in and taking a deep breath out and noticing your breath. And simply by doing that as often as you can, you'll find that you're taking control over from that monkey mind. And that's the introduction into meditation. That's the general idea. If you download the app Headspace, if you download the app Calm, um, any of those popular meditation uh, apps, what you'll find is that's always step one. Step one is ridding yourself. Not even, you'll never rid yourself of your monkey mind, but you can learn to subdue it and learn to notice it to the extent that you can start to subdue it as often as possible and replace it with positive, helpful thoughts instead of negative uh, negative emotions and negative uh, repetitive thoughts, right? So that's the intro. And that's where you generally start with meditation. And once you realize how powerful that that is, you'll start to move into more interesting. Once, once you feel the effects of that, you'll go, wow, this shit really works. <laughs> it's crazy. And so you start to see the positive effects in that. And it starts to make you realize the power that you have through intentionality, through sheer willpower, you can rid yourself of your anxiety by ridding yourself of that monkey mind, at least as often as possible. Now, the next step that you'll take in, in, or can take in that journey is something like kundalini yoga, is something like transcendental meditation, is something like, um, you know, these, these different more, uh, more in-depth more wild types of meditative techniques that yield different interesting results. Okay, so one of those ideas and where we started from with this was um, the idea of, um, let's see, where is it? Uh, he talks about the idea of calling on a higher self, which is the expanded consciousness of the subject. And so an experience that I've had with this, which was truly very powerful, I've, I've had probably three super unbelievably impactful meditations that have changed the trajectory of my life forever. Um, and again, I'm, I'm generally, I'm an A-type hyper-logical person. It was, it was with some, you know, I have a, I have a draw towards these types of, you know, meditations and yoga and things that I find to be interesting for my personality type. But um, I tend to be a hyperlogical person, but you once you start to enact these things, it's hard to deny the effects of them. So 
I did a, I found a, you know, I used to wake up every morning at like 6.30 in the morning and I would come downstairs to my, you know, my basement. I would have a, a, my yoga mat there. I would lay down and I would do some type of yoga or some type of meditation and I would alternate. I would do yoga. Then the next morning I do meditation. I would do yoga and the next morning I do meditation. And I found this transcendental meditation on YouTube. And if I can find it, I will link it in this week's Substack. And if you haven't joined our Substack, you should. Uh, it's directly on our website, redpillrevolution.co. You'll get all the links, all the articles, everything we're talking about today will be directly on the Substack. So go there, sign up, give your email, and you'll get everything that we're talking about here. Okay, and including if I can find this meditation, I will post it in there. It's on YouTube, and I believe it was a 10 megahertz um, was the, the frequency that was used in it. And so um, I laid down. And what this had you do is it had you get to the most calm state that you could possibly feel. And, and you'll see people like when they're meditating, they touch their fingers together, um, like their index or their pointer finger and their thumbs, right? The, the, the traditional, you know, funky, weird meditative sitting stance where most people aren't flexible enough to sit their legs weird crisscrossy. I am, by the way. Um, but you put your fingers together, right? And, and what I found is that when I'm in a deeply meditative state, I find that the feeling of my fingertips goes away. It's a really wild phenomenon, but I know I'm there. I know that I've met this, you know, this deeper state of consciousness when I no longer know the room that I'm in. I'm no longer, you know, laying in in the, the shower, right? Sometimes when I meditate, I'm no longer laying on the floor of my office. I'm no longer on a yoga mat. I'm no longer looking at a wall inside of my house. I'm in my own walled garden, my own consciousness that is outside of where I'm at in this world in this time, right? But if I open my eyes at any given time, sure, I'm still in that room, but it does not feel like it at the time. So you lay down and this, this guided meditation, this transcendental meditation walked me through the steps. And, and the idea was that you laid down, you're, you're calming yourself to the point where you can realize that your consciousness is a ball of energy, right? Your being, your soul is this ball of energy. And as you relax more, it walks you through the process of realizing there's a window in the room. And as you start to remove yourself, that, that ball, that blue light of energy or whatever color you give it, as you start to remove that from your vessel, from your body in this meditation, it tells you that there's a window in the room or there's a door. And through this door and through this pathway, you will, if your soul, your consciousness will float up through this window. And as it escapes from the room that you're in right now, you will walk into a long hallway, or at least this is how I visually perfectly remember this meditation, which was maybe a couple years ago at this point. But I vividly imagine, I vividly remember this because I was literally here. So it walked me through, I walked, you know, I floated through this hallway. And on either side of me were these uh, weird, like capsule looking things, almost like the, you know, how you would picture the cryogenic chambers that people get frozen in when they go to space. It was kind of weird, you know, but each one of them, each one of these, you know, capsules on each side of me were closed off glassed in windows that I could look into. And each one of them was a, a, a different version of myself, a different, uh, a different variation of my being and a different reality. It was crazy. But trust me, I, I wouldn't believe this either if I was you, but it, it was, it was really interesting. Think of it, even if it's hard to remember, imagine this as a, think of it like a dream. I was floating through this room down this hallway that that turned in this really interesting, like 
perfectly circular angle around this corner that I never had to get to because by the time that I noticed each of these vessels, I looked at each of them and there was almost like as if there was this, you know, monitor on each outside of it, which, which told me the personality traits of this individual that told me their drive, their work ethic, their, um, you know, their attachment to love and, and, and their ability to be compassionate and caring and their uh, grind, you know, their, their ability to, to go after a goal and their tenacity and their, you know, all of these different personality traits of all these different vessels down this hallway of all these different variations of who I am as a person in different realities. And so I walked along this hallway and I, I looked at each one of these vessels and I, and I felt a, a, a magnet or a magnetism to a certain one of these, you know, uh, capsulated versions of myself. <laughs> and so I walked up to this glass window and I felt who this version of me was. And I realized that's the best version of me that I need for this time in my life to be a compassionate, empathetic father, to be a good friend, to be a hard worker that's successful working towards my goals. And so I, I found that the, the color, when I, I realized that I was going to basically embody the traits of this variation of my personality. Um, and so what, what I felt in that moment was the color of the orb that I removed from my body back in my office, laying on the floor on a yoga mat, the, the color of my consciousness that, that, energy ball that floated through this hallway changed into a different color. It was wild. And as I found, uh, as I did that, I, it, it called me back and I, I walked, you know, floated th back through this hall as this new variation of who I was and found myself back through that window that I came in from back into the body that I had was given in this reality but with the renewed sense and qualities and traits of the version of myself that I found in that room. Crazy. <laughs> it was wild, right? So this is like, I, I'm fairly positive. It walked me through a majority of that experience. And um, it was so crazy. And right around that time, I had a turning point in, in my you know, what I did in my life. It, it caused me to rethink the day-to-day -day habitual actions that I was taking, the trajectory that I was on for my career, the, the things that I enjoyed doing. It made me question all of that. And it made me embody the traits of, of the compassionate father that I saw myself as or felt myself as in that different world, that, that, that hallway that I walked down. It was such a powerful experience. And to know that I could access that room at any given time that I needed it, right? Whether I needed to, to change my personality traits to, to be a better father, to be a better husband, to be a harder worker, to, to change my career, to have the balls to go after a dream like starting a podcast with the hopes of turning it into a successful career. It took me being a better version of myself than I knew I was in that moment before I left this room that I'm sitting in right now on the floor on a yoga mat. I knew it took more than that to be who I needed to be, to get where I wanted to go. And I found who I could be in that meditation. And I brought that back with me and it's never left since. It's it's such a crazy experience. Okay, that that all to say, 
that I 100% believe that this is possible, right? Improved problem solving by calling on a higher self, which is which is the expanded consciousness of the subject. I could have found any number of variations of personality traits that I needed to embody to reach my goals, to be a better person, to be who I wanted to be in that room. And I found it and I brought it back with me and I embodied it, okay? It was wild. It was crazy. You might not believe me, but it it had a tremendous effect on my life, okay? And by now, you know, I, I don't bullshit. I don't talk. I don't just talk to talk. That was a crazy, unbelievable experience that I had. And if somebody told me and I never meditated before, I wouldn't believe you either. Um, but that was one of the three really impactful meditations, one of the really impactful spiritual journeys that meditation has taken me on. And I'll walk you through the others at some point in this conversation today as well. But that one was crazy. All right. Now it goes on to talk about um, patterning, pro projecting the will into the universal hologram in an attempt to manifest a new reality. Um, some people refer to that as reality shifting. If you've ever seen the movie, everything, everywhere, all the time, or some shit like that, it's like everywhere, everything, everywhere, all the time. I'm pretty sure that's the name of it. It's probably one of my top three movies that's ever, I've ever watched. I love this movie. It's, it's an unbelievable movie. It talks about the multiverse. It talks about different realities. It talks about this reality shifting idea, right? And, and calling on yourself from a different, you know, variation of your reality where you are, are, you know, have different personality traits, a different career projection that you have a different uh, husband or wife or, you know, all of these different splits that you changed your reality based on a tree of decision making. Right. And I think that's a really interesting concept is, is that every decision that you make in this life splits off into a different un unlimited amount of realities. Right. And, and so whether or not, you know, my wife and I met in high school and we're now married, 10 years later, right? We, we stayed together that entire time, but on a different reality that didn't happen, right? We didn't meet each other in digital photography class in high school. <laughs> and um, we didn't have three children together and we didn't get married in Paris and we didn't do all of these things. And, and somewhere I'm a lonely uh, drunk who has no life goals <laughs> all because I didn't meet my wife in high school, right? And so there's all of these splits that happen on a simultaneous level at any given time based on the reactions that you make to the stimulus that's taken in, right? Even just by talking about this meditation today, even by just having that conversation that we just had, I might have impacted your life in a way that you go home and you're interested now in trying meditation. And just by doing that, you split your reality from being somebody who never tried meditation to somebody who subdues their monkey mind on a daily basis, rids themselves of anxiety and depression, and lives the up to the full potential of your life that you could possibly have. All because of this one weird, crazy instance that you so happen to click on this podcast and listen to me talk about this, right? And so I think that idea expands. I think that almost every decision that you make in your life, it, it, it branches you off into a different multiversal reality. And by doing so, you specifically manifest your reality through your thoughts because your thoughts are what drive your decisions. Your thoughts m literally shape the reality around you at any given time, specifically by 
pushing you into a different possible reality than you would have been had you make a different had you made a different decision and a different you in a different world which is brought to us by string theory right the idea that there's all these consistent realities going on simultaneously around the world and time and space really doesn't exist and all these wild theories that are now basically being accepted by science today come into play right? Every decision you make branches off into a different reality. Every decision that you make turns you into a different you that you would have been. And somewhere existing at this exact same time as the you that didn't make that decision that has a different life as a different result of basically every decision and thought that you've ever had. It's a crazy thought, right? It's, it's an unbelievably crazy thought. Um, and it leads you into the simulation theory and it leads you into all these really interesting th thought experiments, right? But it all starts kind of with that idea. Go watch that movie if you want a little bit of insight into what the idea of the multiverse is in an unbelievably entertaining and funny and hilarious and serious. And it's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Everything, everywhere, all the time. Go watch it. All right. But that talks about the reality shifting, right? By by specifically doing, you know, uh, uh, making a different decision in life, you're you're jumping from this reality into a different one. Okay. Now it says that the um, let's see, color breathing and energy bar tool techniques are meant to stimulate healing effects on the body through the use of visualization. Out of body experiences allow individuals to exit their bodies and explore the physical world and beyond. This aspect of the gateway process is what McDonald finds to have been the most potential for use in intelligence operations as it would allow instantaneous information gathering. However, he knows that the process seems to garble and distort information being gathered, limiting its efficacy. The analysis of gateway process is a deep exploration into something seemingly supernatural. Remote viewing... And out-of-body experiences would revolutionize information gathering. If individuals could be quickly trained and results could be dependably replicated, the gateway process would be an invaluable tool to intelligence and military. However, the practical applications seem to be an afterthought for McDonald. Instead, the document spends more time establishing a grand theory to explain how out-of-body experiences might be possible. The holographic world, the influence of will, and our conscious minds escaping into a sub-planky universe outside of space Although the simple act of meditation aided by uniquely paired sound frequencies, there is one more odd detail remaining about this document. Page 25 of the document is mysteriously missing. The implication is that this page explored the practical applications in greater depth. However, it has not been included in the declassified version. A petition exists for the public's access, but the CIA has released a statement that they will never receive this page either or they never received it either. One theory is that McDonald admitted this page to drive individuals to explore the gateway process on their own. If you're one of the intrepid souls looking to put McDonald's theories to the test, links to the Monroe Institute and gateway tapes are included in the description and will be included in the Substack. For those of you who plan to remain in this dimension, please share your thoughts in the comments below. Um, now, the 25th page has since been found, and I will go through that with you in a moment. But the first thing I need to do is go to redpillrevolution.co, sign up for the Substack. Okay, if you're signed up for the Substack and you are in one of the eight states listed, I need you to go in the description, I need you to go to redpillrevolution.co, click the menu and get a life insurance quote. Okay, this is my only ask for literally anything is if you want to support the show, you can do so by getting yourself and your family life insurance. 
Okay, I currently have eight states. I'm working on getting others. I've had people email me who I am still working on getting the licenses for, um, but it's a little bit of a process. So as soon as I get those, I will email you back and we will get you insured. If you are in one of those eight states that are already listed on that in the description here, you can go directly to the website, redpillrevolution.co and sign yourself up for life insurance. Now, normally what you do when you go to look for life insurance or health insurance is you're going to put your information into a website. They're going to trick you into thinking you're getting quotes. You're going to put your phone number in there and you're going to get blown the fuck up by every single insurance agent and their mama. They'll never stop calling your phone. You know, I can give you some advice if they start doing that to you because I was an insurance agent for a very long time and I still have my active license, which is why I can offer you life insurance without being through third-party companies. There's no advertisements at all on this podcast. The only thing that I ask is if you're in one of those states, go ahead and head over to the website, sign yourself up from some life insurance, protect your family because your ass is going to die. I promise you 100%. Trust me, I meditated on it. But head over to the website, get a life insurance quote, go ahead and sign up. If you have any questions, email me, austin at redpillrevolution.co. I'd love to help out. I recommend a 15-year term policy at 15 times the amount of your annual salary. That should basically get you covered. Um, No reason to get whole life, no reason to do any of that. It's basically a shitty investment. Um, So 15-year term, 15 times your annual income. Anyways, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. I love you. Thank you for listening. Now let's go ahead and jump back into it. All right. Now, the gateway process, page number 25. Now, before I want to do that, let's talk about what started me into this process and started me into this conversation. Because more recently, I had a different, probably the most impactful experience of my life on the way that I view my family, the way that I view my friends, and the way that I view basically the humans around me. Now this happened, I think two weeks ago now. And it's a fair, fairly, uh, you know, um, interesting topic to hear from somebody with a personality like mine. So I was downstairs. I, I had listened to a podcast by Tim Ferriss talking to God's, uh, Gad Saeed, um, something along those lines. He was also just recently on the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, let me see if I can find who it was. Um, but basically, he's a guy who wrote a bunch of books. Uh, Gad Sad, G A D S A A D, and he's a psychologist who has done uh, meditative retreats and psychedelic experiences with groups of other psychologists or psychiatrists in an attempt to see the healing effects. Um, And when he talked about these things, he talked about his experience with meditation, right? He talked about going on, uh, you know, doing this retreat that he set up for all these psychiatrists to figure out the, the helpful effects of something like ayahuasca. And they went to somewhere in the Amazon and they all did ayahuasca together. And he was told by the shamans that, you know, your energy is so dark that it's affecting everybody in the room. We can't break through to these other individuals because your energy is so deeply disturbed. And come to find out he had an extremely difficult childhood that he was still processing and all these horrible things that happened to him, which makes sense. And also he was a psychiatrist or psychologist, one of the two, who had been basically taking on the trauma of everybody, every patient he had ever had without any outlet for dealing with it. And these shamans basically taught him how to deal with the trauma of his patients in a positive way outside of using psychedelics, which was meditation. 
And so he found, uh, um, he found Sad Guru, right? If you don't know who uh, Sad Guru is, he was also on the Joe Rogan Show. Very interesting guy. He's one of the probably the biggest mm, yogi gurus in the world today. The biggest, as far as like mainstream yogi, you know, American culture goes. And so Sad Guru is a really interesting character. And I was interested in lo listening to the meditation that he put out there that this guy, um, Sad or Gad, Sad, a lot of sad going on here. <laughs> Anyways, so I listened to this, this, you know, meditation, this guided meditation, um, this mantra meditation by Sad Guru. And it talked, you know, it was very, very simple. I was expecting much more out of it than I, you know, not much more out of it, but I was expecting a much more robust meditation than what we, what I got from it. It was a 10 minute meditation where he basically sat there the entire 10 minutes and had to repeat the, the, the consistent mantra after taking a few deep breaths and relaxing your body and relaxing your mind and making you repeat the statement, I am not my body. I am not even my mind. I am not my body. I am not even my mind. I am not my body. I am not even my mind. And he repeated this for about 10 minutes. And at the end of it, it was a weird sound to hear because he started to do this, you know, chant or, uh, you know, sound, you know, the whole kind of deal that you would kind of anticipate being coming from <laughs> a yogi teacher uh, in India. And uh, the whole room that he was in, I didn't even know he was in the room until, you know, nine minutes into this, where you hear it just echo through this whole room with this unbelievably like earth shaking sound. And so... After that meditation was done, 11 minutes, my YouTube went on to play, you know, just this background music. And I was so deep into this meditative state that I was sitting there and I got like pulled into this experience. And that it might be a little even emotional to talk about. It was re really interesting experience. So I, I was sitting there quietly and I remember, you know, being in a, you know, kind of getting to that meditative state. I couldn't feel my fingertips. Uh, I... I felt my oldest daughter come up from behind me and hug me. And my daughter, you know, she's in first grade. So my, my oldest daughter come up from behind me and hug me. And, and, and so I felt my daughter do it. And then I felt my youngest daughter come up behind me and hug me. And then I felt my son come up from behind me and hug me. And then I felt my wife come up from behind me and hug me. And it was an interesting thing that it was from behind me. It's like, almost like I didn't, I didn't have to give anything to get this love from them. Right. Which is very true. And so they, she came up from behind. I, I felt the feeling this like compounding feeling of love from my children and my wife. And then I just kept going. I have a very big family. I, my, my father came up from behind me and hugged me. My mom, my, my stepmom, my sisters. I have six sisters, each one of them all at the same time, like this crazy, just expression of love, this feeling of everybody, grandparents, friends all around me at one time in this singular hug an expression of love to me without me having to reciprocate anything at all. Right. It was this overwhelming feeling of, of love and, and happiness. Right. And so uh, that was the first step. The first step was I, I felt 
every important person in my life at the very one by one in a compounding effect, come up to me and hug me in this manner. And like I said, this is even, you know, that's a powerful feeling to have. Right. And so the even experience, re-experience that now, just thinking about it is, is emotional. And so they, every one of these, just this compounding feeling, the, the best feeling you could ever imagine in your whole life is every person that loves you just coming together and hugging you at the one time into a point where it physically was not possible that all of these people hugged me at the same time. Right. It was just the feeling, the emotion, the, the, the accepting of this love. And so that was the very first thing. The second thing that happened was I started to identify that between each person that came up to me, at least some of the older people, not my children, but each person in my life had difficulties at some point or another or trauma or difficult memories or childhood trauma with somebody else that was hugging me at the time. And so I remember walking step by step, person by person, facilitating basically uh, a hug or an, uh, an apology and an accepted apology and acceptance of that each person had their own systemic problematic issues that led to actions that affected the other person. Right. So like, you know, let's say your uncle Joe was a jerk or as of a father and, and wasn't properly, you know, this has nothing to do with my family, but your, your uncle was a jerk to your cousin, right? And you know, and, and so picture your uncle Joe standing in front of your, your cousin, Janny, <laughs> they really like the, the J names and, you know, them just showing this expression of like apology, acceptance, and then love. And then I would move to the next person, right? And, and my sister with so-and-so, apology, acceptance, and love. And, you know, my dad with, you know, the person that I feel affected him and, and him standing in front of that person as a child, apology from that person, acceptance, embrace, and love. And, and it just went person by person and person by person. And there was some deeply, you know, in every family, there's always some, some difficult shit to deal with, right? And so there was this ongoing thing of every person who came up to me that I felt that embrace from, I facilitated the apology, acceptance, and love from the person that affected them negatively in their life from the perspective of them as a child, like even my own father. And I know some of the things that he went through and I, I vividly imagined him as a seven-year-old boy in front of the person that, you know, I feel, you know, maybe he deserved or, or wanted or, or could potentially look for an apology that would help him if he accepted it and then felt that embrace of love. Right. And obviously most of these people have probably gotten past these things, but you know, for me, it was really, really powerful. And, um, you know, there was, there was one person, you know, multiple people that, that I felt that with, right. Facilitated my own, you know, feeling of being a child and feeling of the effects that that individual's actions had on me as a child. And then feeling the apology, the acceptance of that, the true acceptance of that apology, the understanding of where those actions came from, from like the systemic issues of where that person, what that person grew up in. And then 
the embrace and the love of that person. And, and all the way through to some, you know, every person down the line had somebody in one shape or another that affected them in a negative way. And it was the facilitation of this apology, acceptance, and love in this meditative state. I'm literally visualizing every single person one by one dealing with their trauma shouldering the burden of that trauma and facilitating the the acceptance of that apology and the embrace of the love and then would move on to the next person it was such a wild experience because it gave me insight into why almost every person affected the other person was because somebody affected them in a negative way right if somebody was a a bad friend or a bad spouse, or a bad parent, or a bad this, or a bad sister, or a brother, or this, or that, or whatever. It wasn't because they're a shitty person. It was because they had been affected in some way that made them affect somebody else in another way. So it was like this domino effect of like shittiness of humanity that without the acceptance of the apology and the embrace and love would be carried by every person forever because it's an ongoing cycle of trauma until you break that cycle. And so it was like, I was literally eight in the morning. I had to leave for work at eight 30 and it was some really heavy, heavy visualizations in this meditation that I was not facilitating this. These weren't thoughts that I was, now I'm thinking this. It was none of that. I was being pulled through. It was like watching a movie in front of me. And even now it's like, I just have these butterflies in my stomach because it was such a powerful experience. And so through, through all of this, by the end of it, I'm just had from the very beginning, from the, the feelings of the embrace of every person that loved me simultaneously from the behind, um, obviously it, if you really felt that every person loving you is simultaneously at one time and you truly felt that the way that your spirit is, you know, fulfilled at that time, you just like I did would start, I just broke down and, you know, it was just such a positive experience. I, I really haven't had too many happy experiences in my life that made me cry. And as a man, right, you know, I cried <laughs> and it was because of the love that I felt, not something bad that happened to me, not frustration, but at the beginning of this, it was the love that I felt. And then it transitioned to those heavy burdened, you know, uh, difficult facilitations of trauma and acceptance and apologies and love from each. I knew everybody's story deeply and intensely felt the trauma and intensely felt the interaction between that person who was affected as a child, literally vividly imagining that person at that age and seeing the person that loved them, but didn't show it properly at that time, apologizing, hugging, loving, embracing that person and the acceptance of that apology. So it was like literally burdening, getting bearing the burden and weight of every individual's trauma in my family simultaneously. And then the positive outcome that happened by the end of it. And so it turned into that, right? And it was like, I was literally just taken on this unbelievable spiritual journey of all of this, you know, love and trauma and apologies and acceptance of those people in my family at one time. And at 8.15, my, my journey was over and I woke up 
you know, I started to feel and rub my fingers together. The, the, the journey was over at the very end of it. I remember one by one, the, I was like, vividly picture it right now. I was standing in my body in this like white room space and, and everybody like, they were like, all right, we're done. And everybody just kind of went off in their own direction one by one, assumingly back to their vessel in this reality. <laughs> and um, that was the end of it. I was standing there by myself and I started to rub my fingers back together. And again, I was just taken on this journey. I had nothing to do with or facilitating these thoughts. It was nothing in my mind. I had never thought of thinking these things before. I never wanted to bear the burden of every person's trauma in my entire family ever at eight in the morning when I had to leave for work at 8.30. I promise you. So my wife comes downstairs literally as I'm waking up for this, just with tears rolling down my face. And uh, you know, I just can't imagine what she thought was going on down there. Um, at 8.30 in the morning to, to be experiencing that heavy of, you know, you know, emotion. And, um, and then she hugged me, right? It was like, just everything came together. It was literally the moment I woke up from it. She was walking down the stairs. It was, you know, wild, maybe, maybe 30 seconds after I was out of my meditation that she came down and, you know, gave me a hug and, you know, asked me what the fuck was going on because it was a weird timing to walk down on that. But, um, but anyways, that made me realize, you know, it, it's easy to look at others and and see the way that they treated you or see the way that they treated somebody that you love and judge them for it. It's a lot more difficult to look at what that person maybe did to that person that you love and realize that it came from a place of their trauma. And it was a perpetuation of the childhood, the, the lack of care or love that they had. And, and, and so it was just such an unbelievable, powerful experience. Okay. Now the next one, right. And I'll jump to that in a second, because maybe we need to debrief on this one a little bit, but it was, it was such a powerful experience. And, and it made me realize so much about those that I love. And, and it made me realize that, you know, I can find that feeling of every person I love ever embracing me at one time. Anytime that I want, I can experience that. That was probably the greatest, most powerful emotion in my life was having all of these people that I love seemingly embracing me in a unrealistic way at, at a single time. Cause it was like 30 people just you know, walking up, right? All of this, you know, one by one, adding and compounding this feeling of love it was so crazy. It, it sounds like I was on drugs and I was not, I promise you. It was 8.30 in the morning on a Tuesday. And I had to immediately with tears in my, rolling down my face, feeling all of these emotions, go throw on a shirt and drive right to a meeting without being able to debrief myself from everything that I just probably unpacked of my childhood and my family and my loved ones traumas and like, God, it was heavy. And, and so I had to go right from there, literally to a business meeting, which is like the worst thing in the world when you experience that. But it literally sounds like, like if I've never done psychedelic drugs in my life, never tried shrooms, I've never done DMT. I've never, never done any psychedelic drugs in my entire life. But I would imagine if you had the single greatest trip you could ever have, that that's what it would feel like. 
that that's the ride that I would choose to go on. And for a, from a positive perspective, you know, it's all positive, honestly. But um, yeah, I, I can't imagine having a better, more positive experience. And that all came from meditation, from sad guru, you know, literally sitting there for 10 minutes going, I am not my body. I am not even my mind. <laughs> oh, and then everybody joins in. Oh, <laughs> that's where this all started. That was my only intention was to do this 10 minute meditation and then got sucked down this slip and slide of emotion to where I felt the greatest feeling I've ever felt in my entire life. And again, that all came from meditation. Right? And it starts with that idea, you know, that Headspace app teaching you how to submit your monkey mind. And then eventually you can graduate to moments like that one that I just had. Right. And I think some people are innately more able to have those experiences than others, just personality wise. And, you know, call it, uh, you know, according to the CIA documents, they specifically targeted people who they deemed to have higher levels of you know, emp being an empath, right? And that's like, you know, a, a higher spiritual energy than others. Apparently there's some way to, that they tracked that with tests and things. So obviously there's some some type of effect from your personality and the way that you were born on the ways that, you know, the, the powerful and the ease of access that you have to these types of experiences. And I think I, if that is something that's real, right, that I am somebody who has... Uh, higher levels of access to that type of state. But I think everybody can access it with enough attention to their own mind. So I would highly recommend that if you don't meditate, give it a shot because it, some of the wildest, most impactful moments of my life have come from that, right? And on the backs of that, I'll, I'll briefly give you a synopsis of the third most impactful meditation I've ever had in my life. And this was a, a Kundalini meditation. And Kundalini is a form of yoga, right? And Sad Guru talks about this. He talks about the idea that there's different types of yoga that people generally gravitate towards at different moments of their life. When they're young and healthy, they gravitate towards like vinyasa yoga. And if you picture vinyasa, you're picturing some 25-year-old girl in yoga pants doing a basically a glorified Pilates workout, right? And that's for the body, he says. And then... The next step is doing a different type of yoga, which is more meditation based, which is for the mind, right? And you do that as your body starts to slow down. You're in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. And then as you get older, even than that, you start to move into types of yoga that are for your expanding your consciousness and not just your mind, right? So Kundalini is a form of yoga that is not workout based, right? Like vinyasa is a workout based yoga. Kundalini is a breath work, is, is about, you know, opening up your chakras and, and this whole idea of chakras uh, is, is a very consistent Eastern philosophical idea of the way that your 
body's energy works, right? Is opening up these channels all the way from the base, basically where your, your base of your spine is the Kundalini center of your body. And through breathing exercises, you can work this energy up and, and gain more access to this Kundalini energy that's at the base of your spine up through as you open up these chakras, which are generally blocked with the bullshit of your life and your monkey mind. <laughs> and through these breathing techniques and through these yogic, yogic, is that a word? Yo yoga um, practices, you can start to open up these chakras and give yourself more access to this life for force energy, right? And that even goes back to that <clears throat> episode that we did with um, <clears throat> uh, Mr. Gerber about the Falun Gong movement, right? Because that was a part of the idea was, you know, your chakras and your, your bodily energy and opening those up by doing consistent exercises that were involving breath work. This also talks about like the Hindu religion with, with yoga, the Buddha, Buddhist religion with meditation. All of these Eastern philosophies have a interwoven fabric of chakras or meridian lines or, you know, these things that, you know, even acupuncture, which is scientifically unexplainable to modern allopathic medicine, talks about and utilizes this meridian map. And if you've ever had acupuncture, or you've gotten a back massage, you'll see this sitting on the wall is like this human body with these like lines flowing down it and up it. And those are the meridian lines, which basically outlines the chakras of the body. And there was a scientific study that was recently done where they basically cut through the muscle fascia and identified that the meridian lines are real. And it's a, a channel of nerves that flows through your body that eventually leads through your nervous system and, and down through your spine, just like the Eastern philosophies, uh, believed. And so um, Kundalini yoga is about unblocking those chakra centers and giving yourself better access to your, you know, your true self and energy and, you know, positiveness in your life. And somebody better than me can explain it, you know, somebody who's a Kundalini practitioner on a consistent basis. But I dove in headfirst into Kundalini um, pretty consistently and um, had, a, had an experience that basically made me change my career course completely. I got out of this meditation that was more of a visualization, like a vision that I had that had like symbols and weird, like, uh, you know, again, it like almost felt like a drug trip. And again, I can't tell you what that's like, cause I've never done anything like that, but, um, it communicated with me that the path that I was on was not the path for me. I woke up from that experience. I called the person that was a part of my current career path and made the decision that I was going to start my own business. And I did that solely because of this Kundalini yoga experience that I had. It was unbelievably wild. Um, and it changed and altered the course. And I, I had wanted to do that for so long, right? I wanted to do that for like a, a little while prior to this experience, but I couldn't muster up the energy to change my path, to change my habits. And this like experience, this vision that I had while doing Kundalini yoga, basically like just rid me of all the baggage of my life that made me feel like it wasn't my decision to decide to do what I wanted to do with my life. And so I literally woke up from that and within a 24 hours called the person that I needed to talk to, to go and change career paths and started my own business and 
just completely altered my life for the better forever. And again, that was a, a singular decision, a, a split in the multiverse, a reality shift that I made specifically through Kundalini yoga. It's crazy. So all of these experiences that I had lead me back to these CIA documents and knowing that this is very real. I, you know, you look into the why they're explaining it, and I'm not a scientist enough to to validate some of the conversations they're having about um, the universe and consciousness and whatever is going on in that that uh, gateway document. It's really quite interesting stuff. You should read all 26 pages, which will be included in the Substack. Um, but I believe in this shit, right? And you probably wouldn't think that by meeting me. But I think it's very real. Um, so, but do your own research. I, I think if you spent the, as much time as I have doing yoga and meditating and, you know, having the experiences that I've had on this, including out-of-body experiences, including what they would consider astral projection, including these kundalini awakenings, including, you know, um, the uh, higher self call, like literally almost line by line, I've experienced something similar to this specifically by meditating. It's so crazy. Okay, so now let's go into page 25 of the CIA's Gateway Report on Astral Projection, the lost document that everybody believed was the key to understanding how to do these things. Okay, so this is an article from Vice, and it says that page 25 of the CIA's analysis and assessment of the Gateway process hitched a ride with an email one evening and landed in my inbox. A digital attachment felt like an unceremonious entrance for a document that was produced 38 years ago and has been missing and highly sought after since it was declassified in 2003. For years, people have been filing freedom of information requests and speculating about what has gone on. On this missing page in the middle of a mind-bending report about military research into astral projection and other dimensions. And then, there it was, just downloaded onto my desktop, quietly looking back at me. My immediate reaction was frenetic. I couldn't chill out long enough to properly read the rogue text. I called a few friends to ensure my reality was synced properly, a telephonic pinch to verify I was awake. All signs pointed to mostly. I double-clicked the file. Let's get into it. Um, a whirlwind of a backstory, it says. I published a breakdown of the CIA's Gateway Report in February. The classified 1983 document was produced by U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Wayne McDonald with a technical power assist from the mastermind Israeli-American biomedical engineer Izchak Bentov. The report was declassified in 2003, and it packs a tour de, de force investigation into the potential achievability of astral projection into 28 hyper-dense pages. A specter was hung over the report since. The version released by the CIA was missing what seems to be an extremely crucial page. For the uninitiated, astral projection is mostly interchangeable with the psychophysical phenomenon of out-of-body experiences and remote viewing. With the right guidance and technologies, astral projectors believe we can train our consciousness to move beyond the confines of space-time dimension. This super ability frees our human minds to travel through the universe exploring an endless array of normally imperceptible realities and dimensions. McDonald states early in the report that his goal was to construct a scientifically valid and reasonable lucid model of how consciousness functions in order to put out-of-body experiences and states into the language of physical science to remove the stigma of its occult 
connotations. The Department of Defense's ambitions are made clear in the report's conclusions. McDonald suggests that if the military were to experiment with astral projection, it could find practical application, but also noted that it should be intellectually prepared to react to possible encounters with intelligent, non-corporeal energy forms when time-space boundaries are exceeded. Which brings us to the CIA document about literal reptiles controlling people from shadow, like behind that. It's wild. Like, dude, this is <laughs> so crazy. In the documents about astral projection, they encounter entities, the people doing this remote viewing, encountered entities that are reptilian alien species who control humans in this like behind them shadowy way, which leads way to all of the reptilian weird conversations that you've heard of already. Anyways, let's move on. Um, it says that um, the space boundaries are exceeded. It kicked off years of attempts by the U.S. Army to train psychic soldiers to conduct remote viewing missions to regions across the world. Um, and it quotes the document. However, a phased approach for entering the gateway process is an accelerated mode, which, which would seem to be required if the time needed to reach advanced states of consciousness is to be brought within more manageable limits from the standpoint of establishing an organization-wide exploitation of gateway's potential. All right. Now it goes on to say a cosmic mystery. The report of the vicious mind labyrinth for 24 pages, it winds through the spiritual and scientific underpinnings techniques to achieve potential applications of space time transcendence. It introduces methodology, methodological, methodological. Wow. That's a quite a word that I should be able to say perfectly fine. Methodological frames of reference like hypnosis, transcendental meditation, spiritual belief systems, biofeedback, quantum physics, and universal holograms only so that its intended audience cia top brass might merely begin to grasp its bigger reason for being by the bottom of page 24 mcconnell or mcdonald reaches a fully existential crescendo broaching the very nature of reality itself it's a cliffhanger and what it says there is that this is um, so, because in order to attain self-consciousness, the consciousness of the absolute must project a hologram of itself and then perceive it. That hologram is a mirror image of the absolute in infinity, still exists outside time and space, but is one step removed from the absolute and is the actual agent of all creation. And the external thought or concept of self, which results from this self-consciousness, serves the and then it stops it says and then the report skips to page 26 as if it hadn't just stepped sidestepped revealing its secrets to the heavens mcdonald is on a set of pragmatic motivational aspects for why the cia might employ the gateway process as opposed to other methods of achieving astral projection um now it goes on to say that expediency um was the goal basically results oriented skeptical pragmatism of our society. You know, there's needs to be a discipline to practice. This is basically what it talks about. Now let's go ahead and read. Once it was asked for page 25 was allegedly missing. And here is page 25. It says the Institute was hoping to tap into our popularity from our first article, as well as some viral TikToks about the report. The call ended with you've touched on some things that we are not talking about right now. The Institute then went quiet and time passed. One evening, the Monroe's Institute Director of Marketing and Communication, Jenny Wedby, emailed again. She'd been silent on our last call. The email contained the full gateway report, including the missing page. She wrote that they must that they just went through a major organizational change. The CEO and COO were no longer with the company. She was now down to talk after we had read 
page 25. Wow, this journalist did some good work. The Lord's work. <laughs> Says the missing page. In the true spirit of discovery, I am pleased to present the full interrupted report. What? Let's see. Where did it go? Okay. <laughs> so there's literally a blank portion of this page. It says the page opens with the word absolute. It sits there authoritatively as if guarding the gate to the rest of the text. In the broader context of the report, the term is applied to both spiritual belief systems and quantum physics alike. It's an important word. Physicists define time as a measurement of energy in motion. In this way, time is really a measurement of change. In order for the motion to occur, it must be limited inside a larger vibration, vibratory pattern. Inside this framework, it is limited, contained at a specific location. That confinement then makes it distinguishable from other locations in space. Uncontained energy is force without limit. Imagine a formless entity speeding through the galaxy with no friction to hold it back from being everywhere. As McDonald puts it, there is no here to differentiate from there. And this, my friends, is an absolute state or the absolute. According to the report, the absolute is essentially the governing energy of the, gov of the universe in mass. It powers the universal hologram that is, all, that is all of eternity. The report makes multiple attempts to visualize this universal hologram or cosmic egg as one big, constantly flowing spiral. And then there's these like visuals that we can look at that I'll include in the substack as well. Now it goes on to say that between the reality we know and the absolute are countless intervening dimensions, McDonald writes, which is pretty trippy stuff for a government report. Absolute is the ceiling, as far as we know it, end of the line, and a hell of a way to open a missing page. McDonald observes that a stylized representation of the spiral is present in every religious system in history. It cites the specific examples of Christianity's Holy Spirit, the Hellenic world's labyrinth, the Hebrew tree of life, its Hindu counterpart, and the Chinese spiral through the four powers. This thinking has found its way into each system's teaching. The crucial distinction between the breakthrough in modern physics and an epiphanies of religious thinkers is the way they all found the absolute. Whereas physics leans on quantitative research, religions relies on intuition. The gateway then sort of showed up just in time, a holistic mainline for interfacing with the universal hologram, freeing us from the limitations of the left-brain logic-based culture. This page's third section takes a slant which would then feel familiar to adherents of modern psychology. The universe, the absolute, the cosmic egg, all of it is irrelevant and certainly unreachable until we possess knowledge of ourselves. My eyes upon first glance of page 25 picked up the absolute, then darted swiftly to the ephemerism that trots out of there. Know thyself. What hits even harder than achieving a psychological self-understanding, according to McDonald, is the sense of self-perception achieved when one can manage to alter their state of consciousness to the point where the universal hologram itself can be perceived. And it's the gateway experience, McDonald says, that promises, promises this possibility. It then goes on to talk about achieving hemisync. Key to the report and technique for achieving astral projection is an audio technology developed by Robert Monroe, a radio broadcasting executive in the 70s, talking about that those tapes that we talked about earlier. It says, in a series of self-experiments in which he exposed himself to carefully calibrated audio frequencies while sleeping, Monroe repeatedly achieved elevated mind-body states. His 1971 book, Journeys Out of the Body, documents those early investigations and officially coined the term out-of-body experience. 
Now, we talked about Hemisync, we talked about this, um, but this page 25 is out there. You know, it's not, there's literally a hole <laughs> on this article. Um, okay. Hell yeah, here we go. All right, let's see if we can read some of this actual document here. It's at the very bottom. Sorry, so it was supposed to be at the top. It says, absolute as in the model around the evolution of time space revolves or res revolves to ultimately attain a reflection of and union with him. That thought model, which perfectly reflects the essence of spirit of the absolute, fits the Christian metaphysical description of the Holy Spirit. Finally, our description of the universal hologram, the Taurus of creation and evolution is neither new nor original. Its use as this figure of the universe of creation developing in evolution is found in various stylized representations in virtually every religious system of antiquity, whether of Eastern or Western der derivation. Whether it's the stylized labyrinth once popular in the Hellenic world, the spiralized version of the Hebrew tree of life, or its Hindu counterpart, or the Chinese spiral through the fourfold powers, the ultimate meaning is the same. Mystics the world over it seems, have perceived the universal hologram in the same spiral form and have incorporated that intuitive knowledge in their religious writings from antiquity to the present. It goes on to talk about left brain limitations, um, which talks about that hyperlogical sense of kind of going against this idea because, you know, logic tells you that this stuff can't be real, right? That the world as we know it today is this world on with grass and ground. And, you know, to think about these metaphysical realities is quite difficult to comprehend from our state of consciousness, right? And it talks about self-knowledge, right? And then it says that the axiomatic to the mystic philosophers of the old knew that the first step in personal maturity could be expressed in the aphorism, know thyself. To them, the education of a man undertook as its primary step achievement of an introverted focus so that he learned what was within himself before attempting to approach the outside world. They rightly assumed that he could not effectively evaluate and cope with the world until he fully understood his personal psychological balance. The insights being provided by 20th century psychology in this content or context through the use of various kinds of personality tests seem to be a revalidation of this ancient intuition. But no personality test or series of tests will ever replace the depth and fullness of the perception of self which can be achieved when the mind alters its state of consciousness sufficiently to perceive the very hologram of itself which it has which it has projected into the universe in its proper context as part of the universal hologram in a totally holistic and intuitional way this would seem to be one of the real promises of the gateway experience from the standpoint of its ability to provide a portal through which, based on months, if not years of practice, the individual may pass in his search to find self, personally, effectually, in the truth, in the larger sense. Wow. So there's page 25. <laughs> and to round this out... Um, and it says that the gateway is a high-resolution digital image of a print of the missing page of the CIA's gateway document. It contains 659 digital micro-inscriptions of the out-of-body experience accounts that only become visible at 300-plus magnification. Just look closer. Interesting. So there's like all of these little imprints on the page that I find that he's maybe explaining here. I don't see it. Let's see. We'll click on this link. 
Huh. So this is T-H-O-B-E-S dot P-R-O slash gateway. And it talks about this document and it looks to see like they are auctioning it. I don't know. But anyways, there's your episode on meditation, kundalini yoga, um, transcendental meditation, my wild experiences that changed my entire life from meditation, all wrapped up because of, you know, opening with this CIA document, which is pretty wild. <laughs> so, wow, that's an hour and a half talking about that. But I hope you gained some insight. I think this is one of the most, you know, personal conversations that I've had, um, but I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you gained something from it. And I would love to hear your experiences about, you know, meditation, yoga, you know, all of these things. I'm very, very interested in this. And it looks like science is going to be next in being interested in this, unless they already are and they're just not telling us, which seems to be the case when they released these documents in 2003 and only released this page 25 talking about, you know, religion finding this decades, centuries before them. Um, anyways, here's, here's my cliff notes. Go meditate, go watch everything everywhere all the time. This reality is not real. Know thyself and your life will be better as a result. Oh, and by the way, we're basically all just a singular projection of the same energy in this universe. All right. <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. Um, and welcome to the revolution. Go ahead and over to redpillrevolution.co, sign up for the Substack. get yourself some life insurance, subscribe. Five-star review would mean the world. If you took something from this podcast and you're still sitting here with me at this point, leave a five-star review. Tell me what you liked about the show. Um, it would mean a lot to me. Um, but again, love you. Hope you have a great day. And thank you. Welcome to the revolution.